Uh, my name is Danny. Uh, for those of you I haven't met um, before, and we're just really glad that you're here. Um, I'm pumped that it's a uh, it's sunny somewhat and not pouring rain. Um, it is a little bit cold, but it's awesome. We'll still be able to have our pig roast today. Uh, as Pastor Hojin and also Ernie mentioned about the weird things, if anybody intends on eating something like horribly disgusting, I am so with you. So uh, if I'm out there late, where's Ernie? Please save like a facial muscle or something for me. Um, and if anybody else wants to do that, I'm, uh, let's do that together. Um, so uh, today, as you can see uh, on this table behind me, is Communion Sunday. And we also have the pig roast, and I know that everyone's going to get distracted as soon as the, the pork smell starts wafting down here. Um, so I'm going to keep the sher- sermon really short, and then uh, we'll, uh, I'm, you know, I'm really excited to be able to partake in communion together to, as well. And also, um, you know, when we stay... Uh, You know, the typical Sundays here, we hang out for a little bit in the lobby, uh, maybe grab a snack and then take off and go home, but this is one of the Sundays where we get to stay here for a few hours together, so um, those are really special times, and so I really want to encourage you all to stick around, um, meet somebody new, let's engage with each other. We have this building for a couple hours, which is a definite definite privilege as well, Um, but we'll have a really awesome Sunday together. Um, today we're starting a new series. Last week, Pastor Hojin uh, closed us off in, through the series of Colossians. And today we're going to start in what's called the tangible kingdom. Some of you have may already have uh, been introduced and familiarized with the tangible kingdom as we're also um, co- uh, matching our sermon series along with our small group material. So this is something for the next eight weeks that you'll be hearing on Sundays. But if you're signed up for a uh, middle of the week, young adult community group, or campus small group, we'll be going through the same eight-week process. Um, it, another plug, if you're not in a small group, please do get connected. Uh, we have plenty of small groups that are meeting throughout the week, um, and we really want our faith to not just be something that's exercised on Sunday morning alone, but to be fed continuously throughout the week. Uh, I'm not going to do a whole introduction on what the tangible kingdom is about. You're going to learn that, and you'll see in the next eight weeks. But in a nutshell, if I were to just put it very simply, it's just about living missionally. Uh, How do we follow God's command in being missional with our lifestyles, not just, you know, in particular seasons or um, and times of our lives and our walk with with the Lord? So it's all about living missionally, and uh, you know, with sermon number one of this eight weeks. I figured there wouldn't be any better way uh, to start than to start with the Great Commission, which is found in Matthew 28. All right, so let's open to Matthew 28, or you can look up on the screen. We're going to just be reading four verses, 16 through 20, starting from 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together real quickly before we begin. God, we thank you that um, although uh, in this passage we see that you uh, ascended into heaven, that you're not with us uh, physically, we pause to dwell on, to reflect on, and to acknowledge that you are still with us eternally. You're here with us here in spirit. Uh, you're, you're with us, oh God. And um, if you are really here, we want to do our best to 
to know you on a more intimate level, to further our devotion to you, to be disciples who follow you to the end of our days, um, and that you would really be pleased by the way that we respond in love, most importantly to you, our God. So remind us, engage all of our hearts and our spirits, uh, connect us with you and with one another. Um, we pray that you would uh, really work mightily in our hearts as we, as we hear your word and as we study it today. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the end of the, the Gospel of Matthew, so the first book in the New Testament. And if you were to flip the page in your Bibles, or if you were online and click the next, uh, next page, it would be over. You would be at Mark. So this is the very last thing that Matthew records in his account of the Gospel, of the story of Jesus. And uh, to kind of give a little bit of context of where we're at, um, again, we're at the end. So Jesus has been born. He had his ministry here on earth. He was crucified. He was in the tomb. And then he rose. And then we get to this point in which on a mountain, the disciples meet with Jesus. So Matthew writes 11 because it's no longer the 12. Judas isn't here at this point. And they worship him. And Jesus gives essentially his last words. There's nothing else that Matthew records in terms of what Jesus said before he ascends into heaven. So as I was studying this, you know, reading different uh, articles and, and, and reference books and commentaries on this passage, a lot of authors who have spent a lot of their lives studying this, this passage in the book of Matthew all keep talking about the importance of someone's last words, of a religious figure's last words, in particular an Eastern religious figure's last words. And I was thinking about it, I was like, it's not just religious figures. It's definitely not just ancient Eastern religious figures. It's, it's everybody. I think all of us, if we knew our dying day, we would want to be particular about the last things that we say. Um, and it's really often depicted in movies. Like, I was thinking about, like, like that, that, that war, like war films, right, where someone gets shot, and they're, like, leaning against a tank and, like, take a swig out of their flask. And what do they say? They're like tell my wife that I love her, and then they die, right? Like, you don't often see, they're not a religious figure, they're just a normal dude, but they don't say, like, trivial things, right? Like, like how epic would a movie be if they ended and they're like, I don't know, I should have changed my car insurance. You know, like, <laughs> nobody says that, right? And even, even like, important things that, that I'm, I mean, I do this, but are legitimately important, like our career, like, how many times is, like, the guy taking off his helmet and he's bleeding to death? He's like, I'm really glad that I was an accountant. Like, those are important life decisions, too. All right? you know, but nobody does that. It's the select things that you really, really want to say and that are really, really important. Now, I'm going to keep saying really, really because I think uh, some of us are new to the church here. I mean, a lot of us. And a lot of us are not new. And so we've heard many sermons on Matthew 20 before. The Great Commission, this passage is called. And what I want to do is focus us to remember that it's not just the passage we've memorized and we've heard before and every missions training has. These are Jesus' last words that Matthew chooses to pen. And this is what he says. So let's focus on this. Because the last words are very important, and apparently they were really important for Eastern religious figures. But this isn't just any religious figure. This is God incarnate. This is one of the three in the Trinity. This is God himself, Jesus Christ. And this is his last words. And if we look at this passage, there's one command that he gives. 
It seems like there's a lot of things that he's telling us to do, but the one central command is right here. Make disciples. Everything else is supporting this one command, make disciples. In the English, it's a little bit harder to see. It seems like there's a number of commands here, but if we look at, you know, the the action verbs, um, in verse 19, there's go, and then he says make disciples. He says to baptize, and then in the beginning of verse 20, he says to teach. And all these verbs that, that look like other commands are actually just participles that are supporting the command, the one imperative to make disciples. So if, if I were to translate this a little bit differently, or even just arrange the passage differently, I would read it as, as you go, make disciples. Make disciples by baptizing people. Make disciples by teaching them all that I have commanded you. So we need to approach this text, and I hope the next time you see it in a missions training, next time you read it in a devotional or in a small group, or even if you read it during the Tangible Kingdom small group series, that make disciples is at the top, and everything is just a thread that points and supports back. The one command that Jesus, before he left this earth, left left us, make disciples. So Jesus puts that emphasis on us and tells us, essentially, that our role now that he's no longer here with us in, the, in, in physical body, but in us in, with us in spirit, is to be a multiplying person. That if you are a disciple, then you ought to multiply yourself by therefore making more disciples. If you're anything like me, even though I've read this passage a million times, I constantly need the reminder, because what I think that or at least practically the, what I would assume Jesus would have said, at least by the way that my actions are before he left this earth, was minimize sin as much as you can. Be pious and chaste. Be as moral as you can to the end of your days. Be skilled at obeying scriptural laws. Practically in my life, I've seemed to have made the major thrust and major point of my faith about minimizing and sinning as little as I can in order to be as like clean and spotless and as holy as I can. But I, I was glad that I got to study this, this passage again this week to remind me that if this whole like as you're leaving the earth thing and, and importance is really true, our God left us with saying, go multiply yourself. Invest in other people. Love them. Raise them up in the Lord. Make disciples of all nations. And if we were to flip to the book of Acts, which is Jesus ascends and then Acts begins, that's kind of like the the course in history, we see that the, the original listeners, those who were there on the mountain with him, must have taken it very seriously because he, he's, he's ascending, he's leaving, and he's like, okay, what do you want us to do? He says, make disciples, and if we flip through the book of Acts, the church explodes and expands. Churches are planted. Like, thousands upon thousands of people start coming to faith. And then, two thousand, or thousands and thousands of years later, we're here. We're not Jews. We're here, though. Somehow, in the course of history, people who have been obeying this command— started multiplying themselves to the point that more and more have entered the kingdom of God. And so, what, uh, just one of two points for this Sunday is first that the Great Commission calls us to be disciples that make disciples. And what I want to challenge us, especially as we begin the Tangible Kingdom series, is that missional living 
cannot just be a tack-on to our faith. Missional living is not a, a, a summer thing in two weeks in July when we go to uh, fly to Mexico with t-shirts and team, team names. Missional living can't just be the occasional thing when the church programs something for us. Missional living can't be a special occasion, but must be the entirety of our lifestyles. An integral part of the DNA of what it means to follow Jesus. The Great Commission calls us to be disciples that make disciples. My second point is that Jesus empowers his church, his people, his disciples to make disciples. You know, when we hear, live missionally, I I get insecure. Like, oh, well, that's so hard. There's so many questions. People are going to judge me. Um, What if I don't know the right thing to say? What if I sound foolish? What if if my relationships change? It, It can sound heavy. But Jesus empowers, actually, us to make disciples. In college, uh, I was a communications major um, uh, and spent a lot of time in the, in the uh, social and behavioral sciences. And it's a little bit different uh, from what you're probably thinking of when you, when you hear communications in that it wasn't that I was learning how to market or um, how to be effective at public relations. I actually learned how to critically examine it, so it was kind of backwards. Um, like picking apart the message that culture kind of projects and, and, and studying that and writing about it. And uh, we did a lot of studying on, on magazine covers. And I want you to direct your attention to the screen. I'm going to get out of the way. Um, millions and millions of dollars go into just the cover. Because you have people who are dedicating their whole careers into designing this stuff, proposing it to their, their higher-ups, and then either getting approved or not. And so just to get you into a little bit of the, the, the studying that we would do, and it's like, okay, so if I look at this, I'm trying to figure out as many details as I can and ask why. So you notice that glamour is pink, this is pink, and this is pink. So why are certain uh, uh, headlines colors? And what made them choose the size and the font of those particular headlines? Another thing that I'm thinking is, this one thing about sexy hair uh, happens to be enclosed in, in, in a little bubble so that there's a contrast. Why, why didn't they put the circle about, around everything else? Why just in this corner and in orange? Another interesting thing that you see in a lot of magazine covers is how they're willing to cover their own name with the celebrity that they choose. So if I didn't know that there was an, like glamour, there was an M behind Taylor Swift's head, I wouldn't even know what the magazine is called unless I flipped it open. But maybe there's an assumption that it's popular enough that they know. Why are they highlighting her so much? What if they just bumped her down a little bit and then showed their full title? <laughs> right? So a lot goes into this stuff. And basically, like, I want to, like, I know that we're not, like, we're all different, but they know there's a lot of stimulus, right? So I'm a uh, 36-year-old mom, and I got my grocery cart, and I'm, in the groceries, and I have my two sons. So, one, I have a list of things that I need to buy. I have the little kids yapping at me and bringing me chocolate and be like, can we buy this? I'm like, no, put that crap away. And, and, and there's lines, and all these things are going on, and these people need me to look at it, even with the ah, ah, list and noise and, oh, excuse me, can I get out of the way? I need the pasta to look at it and to make a decision. Just by this. 
So what happens is that the, well, the way that something is presented has to have the ability to change our perception about it and then, therefore, our actions. So what happens to the mom with the grocery cart? She sees, she stops and thinks, the perception must change. I need that or I want that. And then, therefore, the action changes. Buy it for five ninety nine. So the perception or the, 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 you need to see something or the, the presentation, the perception change, and then the action. So, so I, I thought about this for, for, for Matthew 28, right? And, and I created the way, I, 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 I tried to visually depict the way that I read the passage and the way that I think some of you read the passage. So I created, I tried my hardest to make Matthew 28 in magazine form. So, so take a look at this. So take, take 30 seconds. Just, just stare and, and read, read, it, read the whole thing. But, but, you know, just in this new way. I hope those of you in the, in the balcony can read that. We did get a new projector. Um... So this is, this is my version of Matthew 28 in magazine form. Now, this is kind of how I read it. Maybe you guys are similar. But I think go is like, go, right? Like, we got to, where am I going? Like, go, we just got to go somewhere. And, and, and I can see if we were to read it this way, why living missionally would feel so heavy. Because this stuff is serious, right? Like, I need to, like, I need to go somewhere. I need to make disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I need to know what Jesus taught me in order that I need to teach other people. And like all these things that God has commanded and commanded sounds such a heavy word. And so I can kind of feel why Matthew 28 and, and the command to make disciples seems to not feed us in a way, excite, inspire why, why this great command, this great commission that, that Jesus left us as his last words don't seem to kind of, we, we know it up here, but don't seem, doesn't seem to kind of like, you know, marinate in our souls. So what if we were to read it a different way? So this is the beginning. What if the presentation was like this? Or with a little bit more emphasis, or a little bit more emphasis? Read this version. I'm kind of like the magazine lady and, or the supermarket lady with the magazines and that like, some things grab my eye and other things kind of brush over. And I do that with scripture too. Because if this passage seems so hard to me, why? Maybe because I just focused on all the do's. But, but Jesus sandwiches this all authority, everything. I'm God. I'm in control of everything. And heaven and on earth has been given to me. And therefore, I, with this authority, I, I give you this commission. But just to let you know, although I'm ascending, I am with you always, with my full authority and with my full power, in full presence to the end of the age. I'm always with you. What if we were to read it like that? What if those were the parts that caught our eye and then fueled our, our joyful response? What if this was the presentation that we saw 
And then our perception would be changed in that, oh, I actually don't have anything to be fearful about. I don't have anything to be burdened about. I only actually have something to be joyful about, and therefore I can go. Action change. We purchase it. We throw it in the, in the grocery cart with joy. So we're disciples that are called to make disciples, but Jesus, he empowers us all along the way. And we can have confidence in that empowering, that he is with us, and that it's with his authority that we go. Missional living in missions is not by and through the, excuse me, missional living is by and through the authority and power of God, not through the power of people, of men and women. Missional living must be rooted in the heart of God, not rooted in the church and people. Missional living flows from the ordaining power of God, not the energies of the church. We're called to be disciples that make disciples, but all the while it's the power of God that fills us and allows us and then goes with us with his presence. So what do we do to call, in response to live missionally? Well, as I was thinking about application, I was like, well, we're going to do a lot of applying for eight weeks we're going to apply it every Sunday. We're going to apply it every uh, Wednesday or Tuesday or whenever the day of the week is, is for you in small groups. Um, and uh, I, want to, uh, I want to start with a very, very, I hope this doesn't seem like a cop-out, but very preliminary like, starting point of application that's extremely, extremely simple and that I hope we have 100% success within this room. So uh, imagine we're in a conversation and you meet somebody, and you're like, hey, like, what's going on? Hi, how are you? Good, I'm, I'm well. Um, what's new? And somebody says, oh, I'm going on mission soon. What's your response after that? Say it out loud. Uh, what was it? La, 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 la. Hey, I'm going on mission soon. Where are you going? Who said where are you going? How many people would think that? Where are you going? Okay, I want to break this habit. I think, you know, that's probably the majority of our response. Where are you going? And it's, it's, it's fair, it's fine, because a lot of times, the, you know, it's very much connected to going somewhere, right? And, and so I'm not, I'm not bashing that, but what I want us to do is, is change that perspective of instantly thinking where when we think about missions. Because missional whether it's missions, like the activity, or missional living as the whole, it, it doesn't, it's not about places, it's about people. So the question I want to encourage to ask is who? Who are you living missionally to or going to missions to? Who are you called to disciple and to multiply? Not where, who? I feel like if we were to start asking the who question, missions wouldn't seem like such an, like an extraordinary um, um, like thing where it's the once-in-a-while activity. It wouldn't seem so special and not as much of a day-to-day type thing. If we were to start asking who, then it, yeah, it wouldn't seem like it's, it's so great a commitment and that you've made some sort of like, you know, like, big, big commitment to going somewhere over the summer 
or that you have all this fundraising to do, but that it's just a part of who you are. It's, again, part of our DNA as believers. So my first response, or excuse me, uh, application, just to start off this eight weeks, is who? We all have that who. And I want to encourage us, and we can so easily have 100% success in this room, who are you called to disciple? Who are you called to love more than yourself? Who are you called to go and be a witness of the way that Christ loved? The world says, take care of your stuff, and when you got leftover, then share. If you have an excess in funds, then donate to the charities. If you have time after you've decked out your resume, then go hang out. We have the opposite model. Because Christ said, lay down your life so that the people around you are lifted up. Who are you called to be that to? Most likely, we have a lot of the similar answers. Our classmates, our roommate, our, our friend, our family members, a lot of us, our, our co-workers, the, those that we sit next to every day, our bosses, our superiors, whoever. Who is it for you? Make that decision. Or, I mean, it's not your choice, right? You just have it. Make, but the, make that conscious thought and engage with that today, even right now. Who is your mission field? Who are you called to live missionally towards? Throughout this next eight weeks, it's not always going to be easy, right? It's not always easy to share your faith, especially in Boston, where it's a very spiritually hostile place. It's not always easy to say, I'm a Christian and this is what I do. It's not always easy to invite a friend to church. It's not easy to say, hey, you know what I believe? That God came down, he was born in like a filthy stall, and then he died, and then he, he came back to life. Like, you know, like, that's not easy to say that with everybody thinking that you're psychotic. There will be plenty of times during this series that it's not easy. But look and remember the passage. Remember how Jesus empowers us, that he's with us, and he gives us the authority that is only his to give. I want to close with, uh, by, uh, there's a, a pastor who I'm a huge, huge fan of that I was actually listening to a sermon on missions that he gave, and um, I'm going to kind of, you know, do a little bit of Tetris with what he said. But let me ask you the question, do you believe that Christ Jesus can save you from eternal damnation? Do you believe that he's actually saved your soul? If you believe that, then surely it would be easy to believe that for the 80 or few like, years in this world that he's going to take care of you, right? If you believe that when God, when judgment day comes and when the Lord looks upon you and doesn't see your dirty rags, but sees the white as snow robes of the perfection of his son, if you believe that, surely... You believe that it'll be okay if people judge you, or it'll be okay if things get a little bit awkward, or it'll be okay if you don't have all the right answers to say. If you believe that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to you, and that your standing before the, God, before the Lord is secure, and that when you look your dying day in the face, you'll be like, I'm good, I can't wait. If you believe that, 
then surely you can believe that the commandments aren't too heavy and that he's not doing this to oppress you, but rather to give you a greater joy. If we believe the huge core and message of the gospel, then surely we, be- we can believe that our call to missional living will give us, will fill us, and that Jesus at, at these points and all these laws isn't there to burden you and to make life difficult and hard and, and, and to do things that I don't want to do and God's forcing me, but that he'll lead you and satisfy you every step of the way. So that's how I want to start this eight weeks. Reminding us of how Jesus sandwiches the command with the secure, the security that we can have and how he promises his presence with us and his authority. And also to empower you now by asking, reminding us, if you believe that about your soul and how crazy it is to believe that, then surely, surely we can believe that in however many years we have on this earth that we're okay. He's going to take care of us. And really, our greatest joy would be to say, yes, God, I'll follow. And it'll be the best decision that I ever make. So let's remember these parting words that the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples and that he gives unto us. To multiply ourselves, to be disciples who make disciples, to the who that we're called to. But also being, standing upon this firm, firm foundation that he empowers us and goes with us every step of the way. Let's bow in prayer. God, we are so grateful for the truth that you are with us, that your presence is with us from now and forever. Honestly, what kind of life would it be to live if you weren't here? We, we wouldn't... We, we need you to be with us. We're so weak. We're so helpless. But with you, Lord God, we are made strong because you empower us. You empower us to, to think less of ourselves and to think more of others. You empower us to lay down our, our lives so that other people can be blessed. You empower us to say no to the world and yes to your kingdom. And you empower us to live missionally and to extend this message of grace unto others. God, earlier this morning, we sang um, one of my favorite, favorite things to sing or words to say or to read or whatever. Is Our hope is in you. And I want to pray, God, for this church that your empowering would be so moving within us that more and more and more and more people in this world would start confessing my hope is in you because of the witness of this church because of the way that we are able to live missionally because you went with us and because you empowered us and because you called us to. So God, we pray that your joy would be given and your grace would be extended to those who don't know you and that you would use us as your instruments to do that work. Father, we're going to go through eight weeks of what it means to just live a a 24-7 life of missional living, not a special, out-of-the-ordinary, trip, momentary, calendar item, but a lifestyle. And we pray that your word would feed our souls so that with excitement and joy we can respond, and yes, God, I will go and do whatever it is that you call me, because you call me not to burden, but to great joy. 
If we can believe that you saved us and that we have a place in a room in heaven, that we definitely believe that you're going to take care of us while we're here on earth. And do more than that. You don't just let us skirt by, but you bless us. And for that, we thank you. So Lord, this morning, I pray that you would deepen our devotion to you, Jesus. And that you would deepen that devotion with much, much excitement and much, much joy. We love you. We're so glad to follow you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.